Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Six Packers. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 24. Prior to becoming a Catholic, my life was messy to say the least. Although my father taught me some really good things, he wasn't really a very good dad. He had a bad habit of not keeping his word. He'd try to tell me one way to be and then do just the opposite himself. And he had a tendency to be rather brutal in the way he handled me. So when I started having kids, I had no idea what to do. But I certainly knew what not to do. As it turned out, because I did things just the opposite of my dad, I got really lucky and learned to be a good father. In fact, all of my sons became the sort of men that would make any father proud. They're responsible, patriotic men of the sort I would have liked to have been when I was their age. So this episode is all about being a dad, something sorely lacking in today's American society. I'll tell you about it in a moment. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. I had four sons. All my sons were well-behaved and respected me as their father with a love not commonly seen today. I seldom had to punish my boys because they were always eager to please me. However, my oldest son got into his head that he simply wasn't going to obey me on one particular matter. First, let me tell you about the family paddle. I had a paddle made from a piece of one-by-four pine with a carved handle. I'd painted all my son's names on both sides of the paddle. I kept it personal and family-like. The way I usually did things with the boys was to explain to them why it was wrong to do the thing they'd done wrong, then tell them that the next time they did the wrong thing, we'd have a daddy and son chat. They knew that meant the chat would involve the paddle. We always had the father and son chats in the kitchen because I kept the paddle in the chest of drawers in my bedroom at the other end of the house. When we'd have our chats, I'd explain things firmly a second time. Then I'd tell my little offender to go get the paddle. That's when the wailing and gnashing of teeth would begin. (laughs) The boys would move slowly to get the paddle, barely shuffling their feet as they went along, putting off as long as they could the inevitable spanking. In fact, they'd take so long to get the paddle that I usually had time to have a cup of coffee while I waited. After a few minutes, it would get quiet, and I'd just shout, 
Hey, boy, where's that paddle? Then the wailing would start all over again. It was so comical that their mother and I would have to suppress laughter. No father enjoys punishing his child, but discipline is necessary for turning children into productive adults. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you don't discipline your child now, you can be sure a criminal court judge will do it for you later. And neither you nor your child will like the discipline a judge hands out. This is why I sent the boys to the other end of the house to get the paddle. When my son showed up with the paddle, he'd be shaking with dread and contrition. Any spanking I could give would be superfluous because the dread of the spanking was worse than the spanking itself. So my son had already punished himself enough. I had to follow through, though. I'd take the paddle and tell him to assume the position, which meant for him to bend over and grab his ankles. You had to listen very carefully for what happened next. Using the paddle, I'd tap the quivering little bottom so lightly that it didn't even make a sound, but you'd think by his subsequent wailing that I'd just tried to murder him. However, as a result, it was very rare that I had to punish any of my sons for the same thing twice. As I said, my oldest son got into his head that he simply wasn't going to obey me on one particular matter. I'd spanked him repeatedly for his chronic act of disobedience, but to no avail. It got to the point that I knew I'd lose my son to his own will if I didn't break this streak of disobedience and stubbornness, so I decided to get creative. The next time my son repeated his disobedience on this one matter, I sent him for the paddle. This time, the boy walked quickly to get the paddle, then returned purposefully to me and handed the paddle over with an attitude of arrogant defiance. I was saddened by my son's attitude, and I told him I'd have to give a paddling more severe than he'd ever gotten before. I told the boy to turn around and take what was coming to him. My son defiantly turned, then bent over to hold his ankles while he awaited the spanking. He heard the swoosh of the first blow headed toward his bottom, followed by the smack of the contact. My son jerked and shuddered. Then came the second blow, and he shuddered a little less. By the third smack, my boy realized he hadn't been struck at all. On about the sixth swing, my son looked around to see me bring down the paddle again, on my own leg. I'd been hitting myself so hard that blood was seeping through my trousers. My son stood upright and wrapped himself around my leg, sobbing almost hysterically while he begged me to stop. He began to shout, I'm sorry, Daddy, I won't do it again. Please stop, I'm sorry. I stopped and knelt down to hold my repentant son. As the boy's sobs lapsed into shaky intakes of breath, I said, Son, you need to understand that when you do something wrong, there has to be a price paid. Your disobedience was so bad that it merited extreme punishment, but I simply couldn't bring myself to give you what you deserved. So I took the punishment you deserved in your place. You'll note that I never actually had to swing the paddle on my sons in all instances apart from this one. Any time a parent can avoid physical punishment but still accomplish the intended outcome, it's a win-win situation for everyone. This is one of those times when we can learn something about parenting from the sacrifice Jesus made on Calvary. God is the father of us all. Jesus is his son, but he's also the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Original sin offended an infinite being, so it deserved an infinite punishment, hence the reason he created hell. All of our personal sins also offended the infinite being and deserve infinite punishment. 
But being the all-merciful father that he is, God chose instead to take our punishment upon himself by taking on a human body and nature, then going to the cross to die in our place. That was the bloody sacrifice Jesus took on for us. This was a great lesson for my son, all of them actually. They got their first exposure to the simple justice God has ingrained in all of us. This would be a natural place for me to begin explaining purgatory, but that's for another episode. Being a good dad really isn't that hard. It's as simple as can be, but it does take some self-discipline and patience on your part. As I said earlier, I wasn't a good dad because I'm special or gifted, but because I got lucky. So let me share a few things I've learned along the way. Let me tell you that I've paid my dues. My sons haven't been kids for a very long time. In fact, one of my sons is a grandfather now, which makes me a great-grandfather. But the fact that I disciplined my kids a lifetime ago doesn't mean that what I have to share with you is outdated. Fads come and go, but principles remain forever. Good parenting is guided by principle, not fad. It's no longer fashionable to discipline children, and that's bad parenting. But it's a principle of parenting that you must discipline them. We see the result of bad parenting every single day. The snowflakes that populate college campuses all over the country are good examples of spoiled kids and bad parenting. Members of the Antifa movement are good examples of kids who were never taught to respect anyone and more bad parenting. We incarcerate more people today than any other country on earth, including China. That isn't because our laws are so tough, but rather because moms and dads would rather be their kids' buddies than to be their parents. Your kids have enough buddies. What's lacking is parents who actually love their kids. You see, you're not loving your child when you focus on being a buddy in favor of abandoning good principles of parenting. If you love your kids, be a parent. Hillary Clinton wrote a book on parenting called It Takes a Village. We really shouldn't expect a lot of great ideas coming from her. After all, she's all about killing babies and promoting every sort of perversion against nature you can imagine. This book's no exception. A village, by her definition in this book, boils down to government intervention in parenting. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a responsible, self-disciplined, loving adult mom and dad. Period. Anything else is another perversion of nature. For those of you who are responsible, self-disciplined, loving adult moms and dads, let me give you a few tips on teaching your children well and giving them the love-motivated discipline they need. First and foremost, parenting requires patience. So don't ever discipline your children when you're angry. Parents who discipline their children when they're angry tend to take the anger out on their kids. Rather than teaching the child the right things by disciplining them when you're angry, the thing they learn is violence that comes out as they get older. Furthermore, their self-worth is greatly diminished, and they begin to feel as though the parent doesn't love them. Secondly, always be consistent. Tell your child one time what you expect. Children are going to test your limits, so if they violate the rules you've established, you've got to discipline them right then and there, no matter what the circumstances are. My sons understood that when Daddy said he wanted something done or to be avoided, they knew it wasn't a good idea to test me. Their mother was a different story. She hated disciplining the boys. When they misbehaved, she'd get on to them. 
But like I said, kids will test the limits, so they'd ignore her admonitions and continue to misbehave. It wasn't long before she'd be yelling at them. Then, when she'd reached her limits of patience, she'd spank them in anger and frustration. That's not good. I used to get tickled at her, though. Sometimes I'd come home from the office and the boys had driven her crazy all day, especially on rainy days when they couldn't get outside to play. So I'd just sit in my easy chair and listen. Once she realized I was home, and after screaming at them for a while, she'd call out to me to do something about the boys. I'd call out and say, Daddy's home, boys. They'd noisily run into the living room to greet me. After giving them all a hug, I'd tell them to sit down and play quietly. Without interrupting their play at all, they'd immediately quiet down and sit down on the floor to play. Sometimes, after giving their mom a hard time all day, I'd be in the living room reading the paper while they played rambunctiously and noisily in the same room I was in. The noise never bothered me because I understood that boys have to burn their energy, but their mom had had all she could take for the day. She'd call into me saying, Can't you make those boys be quiet? Without even lowering my paper, I'd just snap my fingers and three little bottoms would simultaneously hit the carpet as they continued to play, but do so quietly. Why would the boys mind me so much better than they did their mother? Consistency and patience. They knew from experience that Daddy's boundaries couldn't be crossed. I'd tell them something one time and one time only. They knew there wouldn't be a second time. There'd be no repeating myself, no screaming, no yelling. Whereas their mother might tell them over and over again, I'd simply administer discipline. There was one thing the boy's mom could do that had worked, though, and she didn't use it nearly enough as far as I was concerned. She'd use eight simple words. I'll tell your daddy when he gets home. <laughs> that always seemed to work. However, if she ever said that to them and then failed to follow through, even that wouldn't work because they'd figure out quickly that it was just a meaningless threat. Always make sure you're clear about what you expect from the kids and discipline them immediately when they disbehave. Don't wait until later. Do it right then because they need you to be consistent in reinforcing the rules. My boys have misbehaved at restaurants several times. I immediately took the little offender outside and administered discipline right then. And that leads to another tip. Never humiliate your child. When you discipline your kids outside the home, do it in private. Take them to another location. In fact, when I had to discipline one of my sons at home, if possible, I always did it where his brothers didn't see it. Humiliation is never a form of discipline. Humiliation is degrading and tells your child you don't respect him. Never yell at your kids. You'd consider it very disrespectful if someone yelled at you, wouldn't you? Your kids are people too. They share your sense of justice and expect to be respected just like you do. Yelling at your kids is very disrespectful. Do you remember when your mother told you that more flies could be caught with honey than with vinegar? It works with your kids too. It's okay to be stern because you're administering discipline, but sternness doesn't mean yelling. Another thing you should never do when disciplining your kids is to spank them with your hand. Corporal punishment's a good thing. It's even promoted in the Bible. But spanking should never be done with your hand, and even the Bible sets that example. When you use your hand to spank, your child will begin to associate your hand with pain and punishment. 
If you use your hand, when you reach out toward the child in love, he'll flinch back because of this mental association with your hand. That's never good. Not using the hand reminds me of something else. As I said, spanking is a good thing. It's a good means of punishing a child. However, how and where you hit your child is vitally important. A kid's butt is padded very well. God knew what he was doing when he designed the human body. Because the butt is well padded, you've got no business hitting your kids anywhere else. You should never slap them in the face, hit them in the head, hit their arms, hit their legs or back. And when you do hit them on the bottom, use something solid like a paddle. Avoid switches off a tree or a belt. The idea is to inflict enough pain to get your point across. You never want to be excessive in causing pain or hit hard enough to leave marks. My dad used to beat me with a belt. Where the belt landed and how badly it marked me really didn't matter much to him. When I was about 11, he began hitting me in the face with his fist. In fact, the first time my nose was broken, my dad did it. What my dad did to me is a classic example of what you should never, ever do to your own child. We've talked about discipline, but now I'd like to spend a few moments talking about how to teach your kids. First of all, when you tell your kids how to live, set the example. My dad was constantly telling me to always tell the truth. He'd even beat me if he thought I'd lied. Yet my dad would lie any time it benefited him to lie. He told me to always tell the truth, yet when I was old enough to begin driving, he told me to deny any fault I might have had if I was ever in an accident. Contradict yourself or set an example that's contrary to what you teach the kids, and they'll grow up confused. I became a terrible liar prior to my conversion. Never make a promise to your kids you can't keep. Even if you think you can keep the promise to your kids, it's better to not actually make it unless you're 100% certain you can keep it. The best way to lose your child's trust is to fail to keep your word. Breaking a promise with your child is the best way to completely destroy your relationship with him. Every adult's moral formation came from the childhood. All teenagers have a certain amount of sullenness and teen angst and narcissism. That's natural. It's just part of them finding their way from childhood to adulthood. However, if you see a teenager that behaves like a totally worthless human being, there's usually one of three reasons. That teenager is either from a single-parent home where there's absolutely no influence from the missing parent or a decent surrogate, the dad isn't anything more than simply present, contributing nothing to the child's upbringing, or the parents are as sorry and worthless as the teenager. So how does your kid behave? You'd do well to remember that your child's behavior is more of a reflection on you than the child. My parish has a school. One of the teachers has several kids of her own. When the family comes to church, no one around them can focus on the Mass because their kids are being so disruptive. Sometimes they disrupt the entire congregation. I wouldn't want her teaching my kids. If a teacher can't manage her own children, how in the world can she manage her classroom? She's bad enough, but her husband is even worse. No matter how their kids misbehave and distract everyone else from the mass, he completely ignores them and does nothing. And that leads to the next topic. I'm speaking mostly to dads here now. Let's talk a little bit about what a dad's supposed to be. Moms can't be the only active parent. It takes a dad as well. 
The vast majority of modern dads seem to be more like that teacher's husband than the sort of father God expects a man to be. That's not natural. It's a perversion of nature. Kids need both parents to be parents, but they need the dad to be the dominant parent. I'm not talking about a dad being a boorish tyrant, but rather a dad who demonstrates his love for his children by giving them the nurture and admonition they need. In fact, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Being a tyrant, the dad provokes his children to anger. However, he also provokes them to anger when he fails to fulfill his responsibilities mentioned in Ephesians. The twofold purpose of matrimony is the giving of love and the giving of life. Assuming you have kids, you're fulfilling the giving of life part, but now you have to fulfill the giving of love part. I realize you're fulfilling the giving of love with your wife, but you're not fulfilling it with your kids if you're not bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look, contrary to the heresy Protestants have tricked many Catholics into believing, you don't get into heaven just because you believe in Jesus. You get into heaven by meeting the conditions Jesus set for salvation. One of those conditions is to fulfill the purposes of matrimony if you're married, and a part of the giving of love purpose is to help your wife and kids become saints. Men, it's your job to lead your family. It's your job to work toward becoming a saint. It's your job to help your wife grow in holiness. Most of all, it's your job to teach your children the ways of God so they'll become good Catholics and good citizens. Don't make the mistake of thinking you're fulfilling your obligations as a parent by sending your kids to religion classes in the parish and letting it go at that. You're not. A Second Vatican Council document and the Catechism of the Catholic Church tell us that your kids' religious formation is your responsibility. Parish religion classes are only a supplement to the things you teach your children at home. You might say, Joe, I don't know the faith well enough to teach my kids. Look, that's just an excuse, and a terribly weak one at that. If you don't know the faith well enough, learn it. I host free webinars every week so you can learn. We're taking a summer break until August 25th, but you can get on the list to get invitations to the webinars at joesixpackanswers.com. The link is in my show notes. There are also a number of good Orthodox resources for teaching your kids, and I'll have some of them in my show notes. You're the dad. It's your job, your sacred and moral obligation to educate your kids. Don't let the world do it. Take away their smartphones, teach them everything they need to know about the faith and Catholic morality, teach your son's chastity and to respect womanhood, teach your daughter's chastity and how to dress modestly, and make sure you set the example for them. The bottom line is this. You have to be a dad, and that means being a man. You're not going to like this, but I'll tell you truthfully that if you don't teach your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you're very loudly proclaiming to heaven, the world, your wife, and your children that you really don't love them. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, 
awe-inspiring and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. Archbishop Jesus Carlos Cabrero Romero of San Luis Potosi in central Mexico is facing a charge filed by an LGBTQ activist for engaging in alleged hate speech after the prelate expressed Christian teachings about homosexuality and the sanctity of marriage. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to LifeSite News. The Chinese government is harvesting organs from prisoners while they're still alive to supply its lucrative organ transplant industry. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Western Journal. This is a miracle. ISIS covered a Christian in 20 gallons of gasoline and lit it on fire three times, but he never burned. This miracle sounds like those of the early centuries during the great Roman persecutions. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to LifeSite News. Democrats controlling the House of Representatives have removed So Help Me God from the oath witnesses take before testifying before several of the committees they control, months after backing down from a proposal from one committee to strike the phrase. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 1 Hats off to LifeSite News when Rhode Island Bishop Thomas Tobin tweeted a simple warning to his diocese cautioning against participation in LGBT pride events during so-called Pride Month, an international backlash quickly erupted. Progressive activists moved swiftly to squash the Catholic Shepherd's advisory to his flock to remain faithful to Catholic faith and morals, demonstrating the resolve of anti-Catholic forces to silence church teaching. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A man, his face hidden beneath the upturned collar of his expensive overcoat, stood in the shadow of one of the steel girders of a bridge. He looked down into the water 50 feet below. He reached into his pocket for a last cigarette before making his escape from the troubles in his life. A homeless veteran saw him standing in the shadows and asked, Hey, buddy, can you spare a couple of bucks so I can get something to eat? The suicidal man smiled and thought to himself, What difference could a couple of bucks make now? 
He said, sure, I've got a couple of bucks. In fact, I've got more than that. He took out his wallet. He said, here, take it all. He pulled out about $1,000 and thrust it toward the vet. Are you serious, asked the veteran. The suicidal man said, it's all right. I won't need it where I'm going. Then he glanced down into the water. The veteran took the money and stood holding it uncertainly for a moment. Then he said, no, you don't, pal. I may be homeless, but I'm no coward, and I won't take money from one either. Take your filthy money with you into the river. He took the wad of cash and threw it over the rail. The bills scattered as they drifted slowly down into the water. The vet said, so long, coward. Then he walked off. The suicidal man gasped. Suddenly, he wanted the homeless vet to have the money he'd just thrown away. He wanted to give and couldn't. To give. That was it. He'd never tried that before. To give and be happy. He took one last look at the river, then began to follow the homeless vet. Suicide's at an all-time high in America today. It's not only against God's law, but it's also the act of a coward. Anyone who wants to kill himself is afraid to bear life's burdens. That's a selfish person. This sort of person refuses to give of himself and his possessions and to be generous. But by taking his own life, his greatest problem begins. Judgment. Hey, Six Packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.